On this week's episode of Resi Week, we talk about how Dish won CES 2017 with Air TV, Dish on a Stick, and you guessed it, voice control. Then we talked about an article our good friend Heather wrote about how you need to revamp your sales strategy for retail. All this and more, plus the musings of the one and only Rich Fragosa on this week's episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation. Resi Week episode 51, always listening. This week's episode of Resi Week is brought to you by Bayan. This is Resi Week. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap up of all the latest news and stories for the residential industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend. You know him as Uncle Richie, the one, the only Rich Fergosa. He is the principal and founder of Fergosa Design. How are you, Rich? Good. Mellow West Coast greetings. I'm a uh... Coming in uh, a little under the weather, but uh, still ready. I can put me in coach. I'm still ready. So <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a gamer. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a podcast gamer. I continually try to up the energy on my intro for you every single time so that you can then come in with the, the mellowest of West Coast greetings. The mellowest of West Coast ones. <laughs> uh, don't and, that, that's not Uncle Richie's style. You know that. Exactly. And that's why I'm just trying to show the, the wide difference between East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> then to round out the show today, coming to us from Flyover Country, Timothy Albright. He's the founder of Aviation.tv, this fun little channel that lets us hang out and chat. How are you, Timmy? I am well, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How's your foot? It's, it's still broken. Thank you. Awesome. I just, I wanted, you know, wanted it recorded, wanted it for posterity. No, I Sometimes. appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah. I have a boot. I'm here to help. A boot. A boot. You have a nice big boot. I have a boot. Beautiful. All right, gentlemen, let's jump right in. This story comes to us from CE Pro and the one and only Julie Jacobson talking about Dish and how Dish is probably the, the big winner out of CES, at least Julie thinks so. And this is because they have brought a bunch of killer new products to the table. Specifically, Air TV, which you're seeing in this fancy little logo. That dish kind of won CES 2017 by offering a couple of things. First of all, they're offering native Alexa integration for TV services. Secondly, they have this fancy dancy new device called an Air TV player that has integrated OTA streaming, and last but not least, Dish on a Stick, which is some very cool tech. So just to give you a quick little skinny, a quick little overview, AirTV is a, kind of an addition to or a rebranding of Sling TV. And what it's allowing users to do is for all those people that want to cut the cord, don't want that $100, $200 cable bill, they can come in, grab one of these, get access to a bunch of traditional uh, channels, a small selection, as well as over-the-air channels with a, a little add-on TV antenna. Rich, this is not, I don't want to say this is unheard of, but this is kind of unheard of for a large 
you know, telco to be offering these types of services. The fact that they are now offering a way for, you know, cord cutters or, or cord nevers to get access and pay a small fee to get access to, you know, some of their local channels, their local affiliates and stuff like that, as well as having uh, native Netflix and everything else within this device. How forward thinking is this for them? You know, I'm going to keep circling back to the same thing I keep. You know, like I said, I feel like that parliament guy just pounding my shoe on the desk. This all comes back to mobile. Um, Dish recognizes, and this is, I, I like this a lot because Dish recognizes that because there's such a shift to mobile that's going on um, and potentially for the a la carte services for streaming and uh, for all of the devices to your tablet, to your phone, to whatever you like, this is a way for them to maintain um, their service um, that people would still wind up using their home-based service and not completely cut the cord and go to an app-based design. So I, I see this as a progression that they're saying, look, <clears throat> we know at some point we have to resolve the fact that the traditional models of how people have been consuming TV are going to start going away. Now, it's not going to go away tomorrow. It's not even going to go away next year. But we're already seeing the shifts in how viewership is starting to occur. Um, and as the next generation of, uh, of consumers starts to grow up, um, we're going to see more and more of that, that they want that more mobile feel. So if you are Dish, and you can still sell them whatever the service winds up being along with the Sling TV, and all they have to do is additionally have a little stick that if they're over at a friend's house or if they're changing apartments, you know, if they're not necessarily in a stable place or they're going from room to room, potentially, they can take this unit that they're still paying for the service and pop it in and have a living room 10-foot screen experience um, as opposed to an eight-inch screen experience. And I think that's what they're trying to do. Is they're trying to bridge the gap in order to keep their service relevant while still offering the mobile apps and saying, when you want this, you don't need the set-top box, the dedicated remote control, all these other things. Here we have our branded ecosystem solution, and you drop it right in. We're going to see it more and more. Um, Sling's just going to be the first one. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I mean, think about it this way. TiVo is already getting out of the hardware business. TiVo is going, you know, more and more towards their software model. So this, this model, and, and, and Roku has proven that this model can work with that kind of like the little accessory stick that you plug into your device. I think Dish is just expanding upon that. Now, Tim, when we look at, you know, some of the other stuff they, they brought out at CES, including obviously voice control, which we can get into in a second, they also brought their dish on a stick, which is their kind of dish anywhere model uh, where they're, they're plugging that software Kodak into an Amazon Fire Stick that allows you to take this anywhere. So you can take this into, you know, your hotel room as you're traveling, your cottage, your, your second home, uh, or even your parents' house if they have subpar telco. Um, when they're offering stuff like this, do you see this as being something that, people will take as a one-off and this might be their only solution that they're, they're going to subscribe to dish for because you know, they're living in that one or two bedroom apartment. They don't need the fully uh, full featured cable system. Or do you see this more as strictly just an add on piece to their existing, you know, say, say cable services. 
Well, it, it's, it's a response to a, a number of different things. It's the things that, that folks that Richie and I, my age and, and younger generations have been asking for for years is the fact that, that there, the current cable system infrastructure is you pay X amount of dollars, period. And you get 100 channels, 200 channels. You can, if you want HBO and the premium channels, you pay a little bit more. But when you look at exactly what you're consuming on a, on a monthly basis, you're paying for far more than what you're actually consuming. So this is in response to that. Um, this is really similar to DirecTV's DirecTV Now, which they, their introductory offer was like $35 or $40 a month for up to 100 channels. So, you know, for 35 bucks a month, which is, you know, in, in some areas and in the Midwest here, that's a good $70, $80 cheaper than getting the traditional um, cable system package you're able to stream this, uh, you know, a handful of, of the channels you want. The addition of the OTA, the addition of the over the air though is absolutely genius and it's something that nobody else is doing yet. And I think that is, is gonna be their killer app for, to, I hate using that term, but it's the best one I've got. That's gonna be the real the, the, the difference maker for, for this market, right? And let's, let's be honest here, both Dish and DirecTV are kind of introducing a new market and that is an app based uh, cable consumption system, cable consumption devices, or cable consumption infrastructure. The fact that both companies are making them available on the Fire Stick, on the Amazon Fire Stick, is first of all a, a huge advantage for them, but it's also telling uh, about where they understand their clientele and, and their consumers are. That mm -hmm. Fire Stick is not going to be able to be your cable box. Great, awesome, groovy. But guess what else it is? It is your Amazon Prime. Um, streaming device. It is your Netflix device. Uh, if you have uh, HBO Go or any of the other premium apps, you can get them on this one little stick that plugs straight into your HDMI uh, connection. The folks that are in their 20s and, and in, their, in their 30s are, are looking to get away from cable systems and satellite systems. That's what the, the cable cutters and the, and the cable nevers uh, moniker is about. So the fact that they're they're serving that clientele and that audience the way they're doing it, and the addition of the over the air, which gets them the the local channels, which is something neither the the uh, the Dish or the Directv use you yet, it is absolutely huge. Yeah, definitely. Now the the last thing that C that Dish announced at CES was that they would integrate with Alexa, which again is very similar, just down this thread of dare I say, giving people what they want. We're, we're seeing Alexa, uh, you know, kind of take over all the voice control um, market share right now. And the fact that Dish is going to offer this in a directly integrated piece, uh, again, continues to sh show a shift. Rich, what do you think was behind the desire for Dish to get not away from their, their own voice control because they've had a remote that has voice capabilities. Um, but what made them decide in, in your opinion to, to kind of just jump right over that iteration that they had that came out last year and just go full fledged into Alexa, forgetting all of the development they probably already put into their own voice control. Because they will never be able to hire enough software developers to keep up with the amount of developers that Alexa has. <laughs> Amen, brother. That, that's the reality. I, I, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty basic, you know, um, you, they looked at it and said, there's no way that we're going to be able to compete with that. So 
rather than yeah rather rather than say we're 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 going to do it not as well but our way um, consumers just aren't going to take that. It's let's just be not going to work out. That's not a common thread for for telcos for cable companies to say oh someone else has figured this out better we will actually let them do it. If we did, we all would have had. Um, Oh, shoot, now I'm blanking on the box. You mentioned it earlier. TiVo. TiVo, yeah. We would have had TiVo's, you know, interfaces in cable boxes for the last 10, 15 years. Well, we did for a little bit. I mean, DirecTV partnered with TiVo for about but only, That's years. only one company. I know. DirecTV did. Sony did for a little while, yeah. um, you know, in the, in the early years of it. Um, Dish is proving itself as a company to be much more nimble than the other companies um, and they're using their size. I mean, DirecTV is now AT&T. There is no DirecTV anymore. It is DirecTV by AT&T. Um, so it is no longer a, a, you know, a self-sufficient company. Um, Comcast is universal. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so these are much larger entities that they're competing in. And ironically enough, Dish is trying not to be the little guy. So they have the ability and, you know, from the, the Silicon Valley tech parlance to be able to pivot um, a little faster um, and and push the envelope a little bit more because it, it basically they can say what do we got to lose um, <clears throat> and they're looking at you know how are we going to acquire uh, again the cable cutters and the cable nevers and and so that that base that attrition is going to happen no matter what I think Dish right now is saying look. This is, this is where our model and our income comes from. DirecTV, because it's a subsidiary of AT&T, is not AT&T's whole income stream. They're complementary now. So they don't have to worry or they don't have to push as many services right now because they, they've got the whole ball of wax. Um, so, you know, again, <clears throat> I view it. And, and from a business standpoint, you know, the less that they, they, they have to deal with in-house gives them the opportunity to leverage it. You know, it'll be interesting to see how they would deal with a multiple television situation with multiple Alexas and multiple rooms. Um, that conversation still isn't, hasn't quite been solved yet. But I don't think they're worried about that right now. I think they're. It, it has a little bit. I mean, it, again, going back to, to both of their infrastructures, you can only have so many streams going. Right. Um, I think on both dish, I think dishes is three and direct TV is two. So they've at least, uh, you know, said, you know, it's, it's not like the old days of, of sharing your, your Netflix uh, login password and, and, you know, you had a hundred people on your account. They've at least said, you know, you can only have so many streams coming from, from our service. Right. Right. Uh, but my, my, my issue more is a matter of like, it, 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 we have it happen occasionally here in my house and that we have um, an Alexa uh, in the kitchen, and then we have one in the family room, and everyone's your Alexa one crying. behind you that just light, lit up, <laughs> right? So all of a sudden, you know, Alexa pause, and you know, you which one? So you start going back into the rules, which is no, I meant here, no, you know, um, listen to so, me, darn it, yeah, yeah, As, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Obviously, she's listening um, always. Very oh, nice. So, you know, again, I, I, I hope that this will cause um, some of the other television providers to up their game. Um, you know, and if nothing else, Dish just sets itself out as being more millennial friendly. Let me ask you guys this, and, and, I, and I'm going to take over my show for a second. Yeah, thanks. How thanks long before uh, we do have one-offs? I mean, we've asked the question before several times. I mean, I know I've been on shows with Richie and, and Matt both. 
where we say, you know what, uh, I've got a 10 year old and an eight year old, you know, uh, both of you got kids, you know, a little younger than mine, where we go, you know what, I watch Nick, I watch Food Network, I watch Disney, that's it. Okay, this is what you watch, you, you contact Dish, you contact DirecTV, and for 20 bucks a month, you get those three stations, those three channels. So they are finally starting to do that here. The, the CRTC has announced that the telcos have to provide an a la carte offering. Now, it's still reliant on a digital terminal of some form or fashion. It is not streamable in the, in the sense that we're talking about today. They're finally offering that as, okay, I'm a news junkie. I can get CNN, Fox, and BBC, as well as PBS, so my son can watch Bob the Builder, and HGTV, so my wife can watch people build things usually kind of poorly. Um, yeah, I went there. Uh, beyond that, it's still something where they're not promoting it. The telcos do the telcos not want. They, no, no, they do not want you to know that you can call in and cancel the forty channels you never watch, and pay a la carte x number of dollars a month for that specific channel. But as far as when that will be readily available and marketed as such, I think we're still a couple of years out. And it's not going to happen here because of our change in administration and change in yep. leadership at the FCC. Well, and on top of it, you also have to remember that the network signed massive licensing agreements. Mm -hmm. um, you know, ESPN. ESPN is bundled in every basic package for a reason. That, that was a long-term contract that's negotiated between ABC, the ABC family of channels mm -hmm. the Disney and family. the Disney family of channels and each of those providers. It's not a three-month pay-as-you-go type of thing. Um, so <clears throat> they, they, the, the providers also have to look and say, okay, if we break this apart and we bundle it, uh, ESPN is still going, I don't care. Uh, I signed on for 30 million subscribers, you know. Yeah. Show me I'm, my money. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get paid until all those contracts run out, and that's why I don't foresee this working in the long term. Is that like anything like like all of us with our clients, we don't sign everybody up on you know contracts that last two years dated on this day. We sign up clients as they come and as their contracts come and expire, and by extension, that's how, that's how the tele, uh, television industry works. So it, it'll be very interesting to see where that goes. Um, let's move on to a story from a residential systems. This comes to us from our good friend, Heather. Now, a little bit of backstory, if you, if you didn't know. Heather is a second-generation owner of a, uh, of a brick-and-mortar retail and installation shop in Buffalo. So she comes at this a little different than, you know, Richard or myself would because she actually owns a brick and mortar retail store, uh, which is one of the reasons I was quite happy to, to have Rich on to have a conversation about this. So in the story, she's, she's talking about how she took her 10 year old daughter shopping to Walden Galleria, which is a really nice mall in Buffalo. And Tim, you'd be shocked. I've been there. I bought stuff, shoes, actually. Uh, but long and short, it, it, it's the largest store in or, or mall in their region. And being in there, she, she noticed how many stores were, were shuttered and, and how many uh, empty, empty storefronts there were, 
even in their kind of flagship mall for the region. So she goes on through the story to talk about uh, essentially the, the three things that retailers need to do to stay uh, current, to, to avoid obsolescence. And, you know, just, just to hit them real quick, uh, she talked about how we're seeing malls change uh, their identity and become essentially community centers and, and uh, focused of more than just traditional retail as well as the the research that's out there that humans are, you know, we as people are looking to, you know, get out and, and, and see and feel and touch and try stuff on occasionally when shopping. We're not always uh, comfortable buying strictly online. And then the last thing was that there, you know, there's been a lot more focus on, as she quotes it, the, the new way to shop, the the way in which, lighting, color, sense, sound, and, and, and taste can become such differentiating factors to keeping people in your store and, and driving people to your store. So the reason I, I, I was excited that Rich was on this is as long as I've known you, Rich, you have been, uh, I don't think it's too, too much of a stretch to say you've been an adamant opposer to retail environments. You've been uh, Again, I don't want to say against, but you you haven't been in the uh, or on the side of retailers and showrooming and integrators wanting showrooms. So, in reading an article such as this, what does this what does this do for you as far as the options of say someone like myself who has had storefront in the past currently does not but maybe looking at going back into that, that realm? Well, I mean, the first thing it, it always comes back to is your market. I think that my issue has always been having a showroom or a storefront location for the sake of it or for feeling that it legitimizes you as a business. Um, I think in the, from the custom integration standpoint and from the Resi channel, that comes back down to your, your identity. You know, are you a stereo store? Are you a TV store? Are you a technology advisor? And, and that comes back to looking at what you are from a DNA standpoint as a company and the services that you're offering. And I think that a lot of times, um, you know, again, I've had showrooms before. We had one that when I was still an integrator, um, <clears throat> you know, we probably opened it at 20 years too early. Um, you know, I th we, we opened up in the Napa Valley and the market just wasn't ready for what we were trying to do there. And we crashed and burned. Um, there was lessons to be learned, and the biggest lesson was that we didn't understand the market as well as we probably should have, and we went in um, more sure of what we thought we were offering as opposed to what people actually wanted up in the area. Um, I think right now with, with the, the shift, and, and really this article is just, it's, it's highlighting that people are shopping a different way, people are interacting a different way. Um, this model that she's talking about isn't new. We, we, we have this model, especially on the West Coast. We have an area in here, um, just in the Silicon Valley called Santana Row. It was one of the very first ones that was built that had mixed live workspace, retail space, um, environment space, professional buildings, everything else, where it became this uh, you know, sort of a higher end community that had everything that you needed within walking distance. And, in suburban areas, you're going to see more and more of that. But the mall approach where you went and you shopped and, mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody congregated together, that's just not a lifestyle that people are leading anymore. And a big part of it is due to the fact of the convenience and the immediacy of the Internet. So 
from a showroom standpoint and how it relates to this industry, again, how are you making it different? If you're going to be a destination, why are you going to be a destination? If you're going to be a destination, you need to make sure you're in a place where other people are already going to be in the first place. Um, but that costs. And so there becomes the overhead expense of that. So say you do decide to go into one of these combination work, retail, community spaces, your footage costs are going to be pretty high. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you need to be on top of um, your numbers to make sure that you can support it. Because again, we all, as business owners, we all want to get bigger. We all want to be out there. We all want to show, showcase and highlight we're the, we're the best. But you have to also take a look at if you took that money for a retail presence, and again, the, the feeling of uh, being justified as a business and legitimized as a business because of the storefront, how much of that money in your lost opportunity cost that you're paying for rental footage, depending on your traffic, mm -hmm. um, could not be going towards the business. I'm, I'm, we, we shut down our showroom, I want to say it's been eight years now since we finally shut down our showroom. And we were in the design center. You know, we were in the San Francisco Design Center. We were where all the interior designers were, all the decorator spaces were. What happened is that at the same time, it's where all of the tech companies were buying land. So we were all of a sudden across the street from Twitter and, and all these other tech companies and the rent kept going up and up and up and up. And we finally looked at it and said, we're not justifying bringing enough people in to be able to maintain that space. It was just, it was a losing proposition. So then that question became, well, do we shut down or do we move? Well, if we move, why would we move? How do we staff it? You know, there's all these other things that come into play. And so right now it's a matter of, you know, from a business standpoint, if you are going to stay there and if you're going to look to shop a different way or offering it, then you need to look very clearly as what's going to make you a difference maker in that market. So Tim, you know, listening to what Rich said and, and reading the article, think about it from someone who currently is either operating a small retail environment or looking to expand into something. Are we to the point where you, there's almost no point in opening retail for the, for the sake of opening retail, which I would personally agree with Rich that that is a hundred percent the, the, the place where we're at. But if someone is wanting to take advantage of customers desire to see things, touch things, interact with things. And, you know, let's be honest, we can, as integrators, we can create some of the coolest experiences for a homeowner or, or for a small business, but it's quite often very hard to explain that and, and, you know, demonstrate that to the client without them seeing it just because they can't wrap their head around some of the stuff we do. Are we to the point where we almost have to go the route of, dare I say, an Apple store and create, yeah, you're laughing, yeah. and create not only an environment where you can showcase cool technology, but you can do it in a place that, you know, go back to, to Heather's article that, that looks great, smells great, sounds great, has that, that community feel. Because all you have to do is walk by an Apple store in just about any country or any city in the world and you see people shopping and you see people hanging out. Is that the, the avenue and the, the direction that integrators should be going if they want to have a space for their clients to come see? 
There's a a, a very smart uh, friend of mine. He has an integration firm in the Midwest here. And as I was starting the, the, the full-time part of AV nation, he gave me a piece of advice. He said, don't, don't spend a dollar unless you're going to make $3 back. Okay. Um, if you are spending a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars on rent, let's just start with rent, and you're not able to recoup two and a half to three times that directly as a result from that endeavor, you don't do it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that's just a basic business problem, you know, a, a basic business philosophy. Um, yes, there are wonderful things that we we can do, but there are also there are other technological uh, ways that we can get around not being able to see and feel and touch. Um, Rich and I were, were fortunate enough to go to CEDIA together and we hung out and ran into um, John Siaka, who had just come from this virtual reality system that, I mean, the, the, the virtual reality of this, of this room, uh, of this system, allowed you, it was, was such detail that you could see the projector beam and the dust in the projector beam in this system. Now, it's gonna be pricey, right? Uh, but it's a one-time cost versus a monthly, you know, a monthly fee for your rent, a monthly rent. So there are ways around getting, you know, people not being able to visualize what you're doing. Take them into other people's homes. Make your home um, a uh, a showcase, um, you know, or a lab. It depends on on how you want to look at it. Um, take your garage and and take that and and you know turn that into a space. Obviously, depending on what your spouse allows you to do. Um, but there's a way, there are ways around that monthly, that monthly bill, uh, for rent that you can, you know, um, get around now, if it makes sense for you, if it makes sense for the space. I mean, Rich was talking about being in the design center. It's a perfect place for someone who's, who's, you know, trying to design technology and get involved with architects, but he and his partner had to make a choice at, a, at one point in time, the cost was greater than the benefit. And, and that's what it comes down to. At what point do you jump out of that boat then? And this is for either one of you. If, if somebody has a retail environment currently or, or a showroom space, at what point is it just a number-based decision or is it something more attributed to the new way in which people shop? It's more, I mean, to just, you know, I'd love to be able to say that, you know, we took a uh, unemotional detached view to, to shutting down the uh, the showroom and, and no, I mean, it sucked when we shut it down. I mean, and, and I legitimately felt like a failure for a while. It was just like, I couldn't maintain it. You know, what's wrong with me that, uh, th- that, you know, we couldn't, but it was, it was, it, but we looked at and what we discovered is that, you know, when we looked at our numbers, we had five clients, five actual clients had walked through that during the entire year. Holy and God. those five clients generated 7% of the sales for that year. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just, it, it, you know, now, you know, it worked out though, you know, when we were towards the end, I was still commuting. My, you know, my son was still small and, you know, it worked out. It was my commute buddy and everything else. But there became a point where it was like, you know, making the hour commute into the showroom not generated. And we found out that there were other options available to us. And all of a sudden, Hey, we looked. And from my company standpoint, I looked, and I went, Hey, maybe I ought to look at how this social media is working. Maybe I ought to look at how all of these other options become available. And it changed my model where 
as much of my business that I do directly for end users, I do just as much business now for integrators. Now, my model's a lot different than, than several other companies, but what it forced was a different, a different way of looking at how my company operated um, and using the skills as a company um, you know, to, 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 to evolve, and that's it. And then we're all evolving right now in terms of this industry. You, you've got to, you, you can't not see what's around you and go, you've got to evolve and change and change where you're at. You know, again, if you're getting out of the retail situation, do you have interior designers do you work with? Do you have shading companies do you work with? Do you have all of these other places where in the past, um, you know, what, what, co-op a space with a designer, co-op a space with a custom furniture fabricator. I've seen that done quite successfully. You don't have to do it on your own. It's a matter of looking and saying, how do you align as a technology advisor to provide the end result? Very good. All right, gentlemen, that wraps up all the time we have for this episode. And I didn't really care about Tim's opinion on that last question. So nobody does. Nobody. Well, no, some people do, but we're trying to convert. Them. <laughs> Rich, thanks so much for being here, my friend. Uh, not feeling as well as you are. Where can people connect with you? Uh, I'm going to say that uh, we'll talk, as, as again, Richie will just keep on going and going and going. If you let me, if I don't get muzzled, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to say this because I'm sick this time, but uh, you can find me at FergosaDesign.com uh, at our Fergosa until we can get like a lower third. I can't point to it yet, um, but uh, somewhere there somewhere. Uh, at Fergosa on the Twitters or type in my name in the Googles and things will, I'm sure, show up around my name. Very good. Tim, thanks for being here, my friend. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me uh, on, on the Twitters, like, like Richie said, uh, TD Tim David Albright, uh, but also in about two weeks from right now, they'll find me in the beautiful uh, town of Amsterdam for ISE 2017. Very good. good. Yeah. Uh, for myself, you can find me on, on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social media platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv. You'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows that cover all the verticals we cover, including Tim's awesome show, AV Week, that he doesn't invite me on anymore. Uh, but when you are at the site, see, you're missing all the fun because Tim's cracking up in the other window. Um, but when you are on the site, please make sure you stop by and take a look at our list of underwriters. They support us and we would appreciate it if you reach out and thank them for their support of us as well as support them with your business. Uh, that is all the time we have for this week's episode of Resi Week. 